I had a very strange childhood. I had the worst case any doctor had ever seen. My job is to keep healing. So that is the story. We all have remarkable stories within us. Stories of adversity, challenges, triumphs, and ultimately of healing. This is Your Health, Your Story, the podcast. Hey everyone, Casper Schultz from Innovative Medicine here to talk about heart rate variability on this week's episode. Charles Darwin once said that it's not the strongest or the most intelligent of the species that survives, but the one that's most adaptable to change. And although there's controversy on if he actually said this or not, the theory is still incredibly important. Our survival and our level of health in much part is based on how we handle change and stress. And one really telling way to see how our bodies are adapting is through HRV, or heart rate variability. They've built monitoring of HRV into the Apple Watch and Aura Rings, all sorts of gadgets. But our guest today is going to show us there's a whole other world to HRV that allows us to see much more, including assessing our autonomic nervous system, thyroid balance or imbalances, biological age, brain and transmitter function, mitochondrial efficiency, circadian rhythms, Chinese meridians, and much, much more. This is the story of HeartQuest with Dr. Michael Kessler. I'm here with Dr. Michael Kessler, and we're going to talk about a really interesting topic today uh, beyond heart rate variability in a technology that he produced in HeartQuest and his whole story behind it. Dr. Kessler, thanks for being on the show. Oh, well, Casper, it's just great to be with you. You know, um, I kind of have a history with you and your family, actually, because I don't know how many years ago where I met your dad. And we did a five-day course in San Francisco on the Skinar train, on Skinar train. Yeah, and that's that was a while was, ago. <laughs> that was a long time ago. And that's when he was starting to develop his own technology in a way of being able to test people, right? Right. So we go you, way back. You were both on your own paths even then to create your own technologies. Yes. And, and that's wonderful because there is that history. And, you and, you know, know who else was there? You know who else was there? It was Dr. Tennant with his, you know, Dr. Tennant? Dr. Jerry Tennant, yeah. That's where he was starting to develop his after that. So he developed oh, his technology. This, this so goes back to the pioneers. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty amazing. That's a very cool story. And, and I, I'm going to bring that up to him and see if he remembers that. Yeah, because you know, I remember your dad had really good wine. <laughs> <laughs> he always says when he goes to medical conferences, the way to open up doctors, because he's used to them being very strict and not opening up, yeah. is a little yeah. bit of wine. He always talks yeah. about his time in Europe, the European vibe. The only way to get the Germans and the Swiss to open up <laughs> is with a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, especially those guys. <laughs> you got to loosen them up. So, you know, I was going to tell you, um, since, since we're talking about the hard quest maybe your audience would like a little bit of some history on that, you know? Well, I want to actually even go into something beyond before the heart quest, which of course I want to dedicate time yeah, to is sure. I want to lob you a real easy softball here. And can you explain heart rate variability to those that don't understand it? Because I think a lot of people see HRV and even when you start heart quest, you see like an EKG type of thing That's right. and they think it's just, yeah. oh, my heartbeat, what are you really monitoring here? So can you give a little bit on what even heart rate variability at its core is doing in monitoring? Yeah, absolutely. So traditionally, and, this, and you know, there's thousands of research papers on heart rate variability and it's giving us a window into looking at the autonomic nervous system. And, and for those who don't know, the autonomic nervous system regulates about 99% of our organs and glands without us thinking about it. You don't have to sit there and go, oh God, I forgot to breathe. I forgot my, oh, my heart. I gotta tell my heart to beat. You know, does everything, regulates all these functions. And it's broken up into two main branches. The sympathetic, fight or flight, your mother-in-law's going to come live with you for a year. Oh, no, I thought she was this thing for a week. The IRS is coming to visit me, or I'm getting chased by a wolf. The same thing's going to happen with our physiology, right? And, and we're going to go into fight or flight, and we know that stress, stress actually kills. Over long periods of time, you can't turn that stress response off. You're going to have detrimental effects. And today, that's really important because COVID-19. If you're in that stress phase, your immune system is going to drop right out mm -hmm. from underneath you. And one of the parts of the immune system is something called secretory IgA. And that's part of, you know, that's part of that stress response. And if it's prolonged, what happens? When that drops, 
then that's your mucus lining protection. So viruses don't penetrate, mm. right? Those antigens don't get in. So, you know, right now we don't want to be in that part of the fight or flight mechanism. We want to be, have a balance between what we call sympathetic and parasympathetic. The opposite of the sympathetic is rest and digest. That's the nervous system that helps you regenerate. So when you're in a fight or flight situation, you got to be able to dance back and forth. You have to have this flexibility and adaptive capability. And that's kind of what Darwin, you know, Darwin said, it's not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives. It's the one that is most adaptable to change. Okay. Real important. And so, Heart rate variability is looking at that dance between sympathetic and parasympathetic, but that's limited. And here's the problem. Let me backtrack a little bit more. So as we see the EKG, we see these spikes called R waves. And that, those R waves, those spikes, are controlled by the autonomic nervous system, fluctuating back and forth. And to have a good heart rate variability, you need flexibility between those R waves. In other words, we measure the time between them, 300 times. And you wanna see, you don't wanna see the same time, the same time, that means the person has no flexibility. And that goes all across the board, really, in all directions, right? They've lost their adaptive capability. And that's really uh, interesting because I think most people think having that resting heart rate or, or just having it very even would be a good thing. Where you're saying the opposite true, you want the variability of you know, 60 beats, 62, 58, going back and forth in a sense. That's right. But the big thing here for me, and probably for you, is the second part of this whole equation. But before I tell you the second part of this whole equation, most of the people out there with heart rate variability systems, they are measuring the ratio between sympathetic and parasympathetic. And they say, oh God, that's a great range because they forgot the third component, which we measure. And that's your hypothalamic pituitary limbic system access. And that's another huge regulatory system that has to do with regulating your endocrine system. The so it's HPA. producing, yeah, it's the HPA axis. So yeah. it's getting information from the higher centers in the brain, from the autonomic nervous system. It makes decisions and it's going to regulate uh, and pr produce different hormones into the bloodstream to regulate your adrenals, for, for example, or your thyroid, for example. And as these things build up in the blood, the hypothalamus is like a thermostat. It says, oh, we got enough here, let's shut it down. It's got to regulate. Mm -hmm. And inflammation and different things disrupt that, including viruses and things can interrupt that whole thing, which is, that's a whole other topic, the gut microbiome and how that affects that, right? Mm -hmm. And so, this other third system, you can have a balanced sympathetic, parasympathetic, but the VLF is the predominant one. We call that very low frequency. That's the HPA axis we're talking about. And that means that that person is really not regulating very well because that third part is kind of like we call it snail mail as opposed to the fast speed autonomic nervous system that could regulate things and make changes very quickly. And if that's the case, people that are in that mode and I haven't broken this third part down. I'm going to tell you about that, the frequency ranges and what that means. Mm -hmm. But when they're in that range, they have more uh, propensity for uh, metabolic syndrome. Their brains are working over, the, over time. They have a lot of problems. Those people with nervous system problems, they're more prone to the MS and the neurological stuff. There are certain patterns that show up with each of these three regulatory systems. But if they're stuck in that system, even though they have a balanced on the ratio, on the sympathetic, parasympathetic. So people are getting false information on these little toys that are out there. That's one thing. There's more. I'll give you more. Yeah. But the other thing that we measure beside this time domain that we've been talking about is the frequency spectrum. So we break the heart rate variability down by a technique called fast Fourier transfer. It just breaks the, the heart rhythm down into its individual frequency uh, spectrum, its individual frequencies that give us information about specific physiology. <clears throat> let, me, let me go further. So low frequency is your sympathetic nervous system. And visually, you'll see that on the, on the, on the screen like you see at the big yellow part of the pie. Mm. 
high frequency is your parasympathetic nervous system. Very low frequency is that HPA axis. You can see it. <clears throat> but from that pi, we can break those frequencies now, as you see on the heart rate variability. Excuse me, a little cough there. We can break those frequencies down even further. We can break them down into all the meridians very, very accurately, because everything's about frequency. We have one system. It doesn't matter if it's functional medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, uh, Chinese medicine. We've discovered with the heart rate variability that we can look at all these systems by looking at the frequency domain. And this is what HeartQuest is doing precisely, correct? Yeah. Because heart rate variability itself, again, like you said, is a little bit limited in some ways and only allows you access to some information. But the technology that you help to create and build through HeartQuest is much more in depth. And that's where you're talking about these multitude of angles you're looking at and the frequencies as they relate to all of the, the energetic system or the body itself, correct? That's right. So it's looking at the totality of the whole system and how it's responding. And a good example of this, there's a group in Palo Alto and it's called the Palo Alto Longevity Project. They're offering a million dollars. They've got people competing all over the world and they're trying to extend life. The winners of this, you know, what's the best way to extend life and the quality of life. The main thing that they're using as their biomarker for everybody is heart rate variability. Hmm. They felt it was globally gives you a look at the whole complexity and the changes. That's really interesting because you, you, you see so much of medicine is really tied to biochemical analysis. And so much of what we dictate treatment on where you fall as far as your health is, even your longevity, all these things are run through lab analysis. And, you know, functional medicine has done a great job of, of making so many more analytics and trying to understand it and utilizing nutrition and lifestyle. But it does seem that we're still missing a, a very large piece that HRV and especially something like HeartQuest can give us in truly understanding the scope of where a patient lies, what's going on, and how to correct that. Yeah, I mean, the reason that I was so excited about it, because I'm like you guys, where I look at, yeah, I look at functional medicine, and I also look at the bioenergetic, this whole other template that regulates our body. And I can explain that a little bit too, if you want. But a lot of pay practitioners would ask me, you know, I'm, I'm doing this PMF, I'm doing laser therapy, I'm doing homeopathy, I'm doing all these bioenergetic treatments, uh, but, but the patient doesn't always feel anything, but I know something's happening. The heart quest picks that up and you can see the subtle changes. And, and I haven't talked to you about the, the newer system that we're creating where you can do the remote testing with this thing and then pick up the true constitutional pattern. Because when you test somebody, you go, okay, I'm getting a snapshot. Right. <laughs> what if we can do that over time in the, in the computer, we'll calculate for you what their most predominant pattern is. And that's a big thing too, that a lot of people don't understand is anytime you get a lab result or any sort of result of an evaluation assessment, it, it really doesn't matter. It is a snapshot of a, a singular moment. The body within a few seconds has already changed completely, you know, and, and gone radically in some instances to something else, right? It can go, the microbiome, we know that changes. And so that's why my father always says it's, it's a little bit silly to just check one point and say, all right, your microbiome's good. In a week, it could be totally different. Same with some toxicology, other things like that. So the patterns are really important. That's kind of interesting that you're utilizing within HeartQuest, HRV, all these things. You're now not just looking at snapshots. You're looking at patterns, too, of patients. That's right. That's right. And here's a good example, too. You know, so people that have a regular um, you know, run-of-the-mill heart rate variable, and they see, um, again, that the person is now in parasympathetic dominance. And they go, wow, this is great. The person's in regeneration stage. He's ready to heal. <clears throat> but in our system, we have something called vital force. Mm -hmm. If that vital force is low, it's not good. It means the person's in adrenal burnout. 
and they need some sympathetic. They need a little, you know, what, what happens when you go to the emergency room and you're dying there, they, they want to give you an epi. Right. We need, we need that balance, right? But what we're learning now, you know, with, with all this stuff, you know, and, and breaking these frequency patterns down, this is going to be wonderful for you guys because it's going to give us so much more specific information. So instead of looking at, say, just the frequency range of low frequency, we've now broke it down in low frequency into five different categories that tell you very specific areas of the body that may be stressed. And when you look at the meridians now, and it's excess or deficient in one of those meridians, with comparing those patterns, it's going to give you what organs are the areas you might want to be targeting. Mm. So we're breaking that down for you. And I think that will coincide with a lot of the work that you guys are doing. Yeah. I mean, that's the really interesting thing about HeartQuest. We talk about ANS, autonomic nervous system, and you could see all that very clearly. And I love one of the things I, I've always loved, and I know patients love this too, is the display of it, is to see these things. For me, my favorite is always the chronobiological age because it says I'm much younger than I am. And I always take that as a huge compliment that I'm doing something yeah. right. <laughs> I always compete with myself to try and Benjamin Button myself back into my 20s. Um, so that's a great one. But aside from that, you're looking at numerous things, thyroid balance or imbalance, brain function, Chinese meridians. You know, what are some, can you keep going with the list of things you're actually seeing and are displaying to a patient after an assessment with HeartQuest? Yeah, so the genius of my partner, Dr. Karamov, was a, excuse me, an MD from Russia, came here, got his naturopathic license, right? And brilliant with his mathematics, and, and already we had a lot of this information from Russia, but we've gone further. And he figured that it's all one system. You know, we have all one system. Everything must be in those frequency domains, you know, in, in, in the, the neurotransmitters, the hormones, everything. So we have in there now the, the neurotransmitters. Gives us an idea about excitatory inhibitory. We have in there the hormones, you know, some of them, like cortisol and DHEA. We got a patent out of Russia, which is a patent telling us about thyroid function. And it's an actual test. They did research on people with Graves' disease, radiated their thyroid, and then they wanted to figure out a way mathematically, instead of sending these people, they had to run, run blood labs on them all the time to figure out you know, where they were and how to medicate. We got that path. So we have another one for intracranial pressure if it's building up. By the way, if the intracranial pressure is high, you've got your machine there, melatonin seems to lower that a little bit. Hmm. So we got, we're figuring out, and what else do we got? We got just, there's, there's, so, so almost all systems, what? The meridians and the meridians. The meridians are very accurate because we've taken that into TCM offices, put the needles in after they check the pulse, said this is what we want to accomplish, and you'll see that change. You've seen it, I'm sure, too. Oh, absolutely. You yeah, have the so, meridians, you have Ayurvedic and Adosha, right? Looking at all of these things. And it's, it's really a wonderful picture, a very holistic picture of the patient. Yeah, it actually is. And the Ayurvedic portion is getting a little bit bigger. <clears throat> we're adding a whole new section in there, but we're not using all those names because nobody knows what the hell those things mean. <laughs> you know? <laughs> No, you, you, you do a good job of explaining it because my mother, who's the psychologist here at the center, always prints out that extra page on the doshas because patients don't quite understand what is what. But it is very good that you have that empowerment tool within it to explain what is this meaning really. Um, and patients do love that. One of the things you just mentioned that I, I have to bring up, why is it that Russia seems to be ahead of the game when it comes to this sort of medicine. So much research comes out of there and it, it seems to be far beyond what you're seeing come out of America. Why is that? Well, you know, I think that pharmaceuticals don't roll, didn't roll in Russia like they do here, you know, and they were, a lot of these guys were mathematicians, very good with math and physics. Right. You know, and they just had a way of looking at things where they looked at nature. It was mostly mathematicians. They were looking at nature and fractals and 
and, 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 and how things show up in patterns of nature, like I said, and they figured out that they could measure the heart and be able to see when we're out of range with nature, basically, mathematically. Yeah. It's wild, you know? And so the, the fractal neural dynamic coding, they call it. And, and so this started in Russia where they were looking at uh, being able to track some mariners and astronauts. In fact, they used that on the space station, which is apropos today for, you know, the uh, space station, right? They were using it uh, up in, in space there. And I have all sorts of research that they did uh, where they would measure people outside the spaceship and how and when they were sleeping and all these different things to track them. And uh, so they just have a different mind, you know? It's kind of like, and the Germans are another one. A lot of the technology yeah. that I hear is from German biological medicine. Dr. Voll and Dr. Schimmel and all these guys created a whole way of looking at the body energetically, which, which is really missing in functional medicine. They're taking a lot of guesses. I agree with you. As much as we've taken these great strides to advance conventional medicine into things like understand nutrition, lifestyle, uh, all these components that, that can stress, of course, we're still missing so much from around the world that is the energetic body. Now, HeartQuest seems to be a little bit bridging that gap of analysis and understanding yes. these pieces. Um, what are some of the other things that you're utilizing? Because you're, you're stating that HeartQuest is not a standalone, will answer everything to you and, and kind of do it all. Or what is your recommendation then for if a practitioner is listening right now and they want to implement HeartQuest? Is there, are there other modalities and, and types of evaluations and analysis that you're utilizing? Yeah, yeah. So when I was in practice, I'm still in practice, but I'm doing telemedicine right now. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you, when I was in practice, they'd come in. And they get the heart quest. They get a baseline so I could track their health. I get a, I run that. You guys have my other device, the angioscan. So we'd run the angioscan to track their vascular health. I would then run probably the oligoscan to track their heavy metal toxicity. Right. I would run uh, the Asira to kind of figure out energetically what organs were being stressed. At the same time, I would run that and I would run lab tests from functional medicine. Mm-hmm. You're an organic acid test. Genetics, a really good program from a guy named Bob Miller, who's developed, I think, one of the best genetic programs out there because it, he never stops, just like us. He's always improving it and how, you know, the interface and being able to look at patterns. <clears throat> so I look at all this stuff, and then once I figure out what I want to do, I check it energetically. Is it going to be effective and tolerated for my patient? I don't assume that, you know, and you'd probably take a good percentage guess here. How many people that do that you think are right on? And I, I, when I just go with my mind and my intellect, a lot of times I'm wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have, yeah. This is one of the biggest pieces in medicine that, that I think is missing is that the doctor does not know everything. The bo your body does, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, conventional medicine really is, hey, this is my opinion on how I believe you should be treated. And that's it. I'm using a, a, a limited knowledge base that I've acquired. It's better. It's, I mean, years of schooling, of yeah. course. But, you know, your unique circumstance as a patient should really dictate how the doctor is going to help you reestablish, not the other way around, that the doctor establishes what your body is, is needing in a sense. Your body establishes that. The doctor only reads that and decodes that. And that is a complete shift because the doctor is supposed to know everything. You walk in and he looks at your lab results, says, oh, we must try this. And if that doesn't work, we'll do this. And it, but anyone that's been in a chronic disease long enough knows that doesn't work because they just go from person to person to person frustrated because we're, we're taking guesses. That's really what a lot of medicine is. As scientific as it is, it's a lot of guesswork and we're not tapping into the intelligence of the human body. And a lot of what you're talking about and what HeartQuest does and what you're saying with the bioenergetics is basically saying, yeah, I need to take myself out of this a little bit right now listen to the body and then give it what it needs and be able to analyze it in that way. And that's what medicine should be doing. But we're missing that part so much. So it's really good to hear you say that. 
because (laughs) it it isn't about you using your thought process and brain to then calculate exactly what a patient needs. It's reading what the patient is asking for almost in a sense. That's That's right. Exactly. And the body will tell you if you, if you, if you you know how to listen to it with your, whether you're using the lecker, which your dad teaches, I learned that from him, whether you're using kinesiology, using a syrup, but you, you know, it's, it's important that you have the data yes. <laughs> to be able to test. It's other, and, and the more you learn, that's why, you know, I study a lot, <laughs> you know, right. because I, you know, got to know what questions to put into the equation. It's, it's about awareness and there is an art form to it, right? This is not a technicality that you just plug someone up to the computer. It runs it, you sit back and it tells you everything to do and, and that's it. Uh, I mean, if that were the case, I don't think we'd really need doctors, right? We just need more computers. Uh, But you still need to be an artist in it all, not a technician. Um, And that's that's sometimes a little difficult for some people because they don't want to put in the work that you're doing. They don't want to keep learning and adapting their awareness and their skill set to help the patient. They just want to be able to say, okay, this is the protocol I'm reading here. Let's do it. And that's it. Next 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 yeah and that's the other problem i have which is on the other side we talk about functional medicine and its limitations the bioenergetic side where people just have a machine yes oh this is what the machine says (laughs) that's another mishap absolutely and i think one of the best ways to say you have to look through different prisms to get the full picture you can't select single you know ones to to go with and say that's it you got to look at the, the holistic picture of who the patient is on all sides, including the biochemistry, the bioenergetics, the heart rate variability, all of that comes together to put the puzzle together, really. Otherwise, you're just looking at a corner of the puzzle. The rest of the pieces are unknowns. So I, I do love your approach here that you're saying HeartQuest is a wonderful piece of the puzzle, but it is a piece of the puzzle. That's right. But the new, the new one, you'll be able to give somebody a system and you'll be able to track them from a distance now because that yeah, telemedicine, so- COVID-19, <coughs> excuse me, you know, a lot of doctors are going to start to switch to telemedicine. This will be the perfect tool for them. Yeah, I want to go into that now because you are making a good case and a lot of people think that medicine is, is going to go and it has to in some ways more into telemedicine, remote, uh, you know, type of medicine, which in many ways limits the practitioner, of course, because they they may not have as much information. But what you're stating is you're coming up with a new piece to this technology in HeartQuest that allows you to remotely gather information and look at the patterns of a patient through this. Because right now, if you don't know, I'll just explain it quickly. You go in, you have a hookup just on the two wrists, right? Electrical conductors. You have about a few minutes uh, that goes through and reads the heart rate variability, and then you have a readout, and the practitioner or whoever it is is there and goes through the readout with you, or you could print it out, whatever it is, but that is an in-person evaluation. It's quite simple in a sense, and the technology runs it, and then you evaluate and you read through it. But tell me more about this new technology that you guys have at HeartQuest and what that is doing and how that's evaluating the patterns from afar. Okay, no problem. So we're a couple months out because we've been testing and we want to make sure that the signal is incredibly accurate. So we've got that. Now we're putting in, we have all the mathematics because it's all mathematics to put this all together. We've got a great software engineer. And so the doctor in his office will do it. We'll have a machine like you have, a little different maybe because it's going to go a little bit deeper. Then he can give the patient a little device they could take home. What's that look like? We've tested a couple. We're not sure which one we're going to use yet. We may have a couple for different groups, whether you're uh, doing um, biohacking or you're the, just a lay person and different information for the doctor. So we're kind of deciphering out which one, you know, for in different systems for different people. But is it going to be wearable? Is it like a, a patch, a ring? Do you, do you have that at, at all? or Both. Okay. So we have one where you can put your fingers on it. We have one that's kind of more like a, a, a holter, you know? Yep. So we're playing with which ones we want to use. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> the key is accuracy for me. Yes. Because sometimes we even pick up, you know, we save lives sometimes. Sometimes we pick up an altered EKG. Mm. 
you know, and we go, okay, you know, this is showing up. You got lots of arrhythmias here. You got to be able to see that and say, hey, you, you know, you need to go and get that checked out. So, you know, you got to have that kind of accuracy. And that was the main thing. We just got it. Actually, honestly, yesterday, it was clear. We finally, we did test after. We weren't really testing this thing. So we got that. We have the formulas ready to go to put in there. So it's going to go pretty fast now. Um, it's going to be able to give you more information on constitutional patterns because as it goes into the cloud, we have, we have intelligence. It's going to start reading information. We're developing an intelligent system now that's going to be able to take that information and do research for us and look at patterns. And we're going to be able to see your constitutional pattern. So some days maybe you're a sympathetic dominant. Some days maybe you're more very low frequency, which is the you're, you're regulating from the neural hormonal regulation. So you're switching. But what's your predominant pattern that you're showing up? And maybe the predominant pattern at night versus the day. So my predominant pattern at night was I couldn't sleep because I was sympathetic dominant. Yeah. And, and what you're doing is you're really advancing wearable technology. Because right now, you have a lot of different wearable technology, whether it's Fitbit or Ring. And you know they, they do some wonderful things and they give you some good information. But I've always thought it's a little bit limited how it's reading it. And it is, again, in my view of it and what you've said, simplistic. It's, it's pure HRV, not going deeper into things like HeartQuest and other systems are doing. Are you seeing that? I mean, you've been in medicine for over 35 years. Is this a bit of a game changer what's happening now? Because you're marrying wearable technology with analysis that is really going deep into the bioenergetics and showing you so much that you're now getting patterns from patients that you just couldn't a few years ago. It's going to keep evolving. You're absolutely right. And it's changing the way medicine will be practiced in the future. That's why we want to be at the cutting edge of this. So you mentioned like the O-ring. There's some good information there on the O-ring. So we have that ability, actually we've already worked it out, where we can put that information in as well. We can start mm -hmm. adding these other apps in that we think could give us some other data that we don't have. That's so really cool. So you're piggybacking off of things like O-ring, Fitbits, and all these wearable technologies that people are already utilizing. So the ones that we think are going to give you sure. good data, you know, along with what we're doing. So that way we could, we could have a system that is going to be more global in its look at what's happening with your patterns. And the other thing is a lot of doctors out there, we tell them, look, you got your education. Here's the patterns. You guys figure out what to do. <laughs> but they don't like that. A lot of them, <laughs> they want answers. Give me the answers. That's extra work. You should know, Dr. Kessler. Doctors don't like extra work. <laughs> We're putting in a lot of helpers in there you know <clears throat> so i have a list of all the herbs and oils for example that will help bring down sympathetic nervous system dr mm. mckinney my wife over here she's been working on this so all the things that are going to make changes in in parasympathetic and maybe bring that up so we put all that in there <clears throat> we have very specific patterns that we'll have answers for you know, for the doctor, nutritionally, all sorts of different ways. And for me, I'm starting to see patterns because I do so much genetic work. So I'm starting to see patterns that may clue you in that you may want to look at this. You know, maybe they don't make vitamin D. Maybe they don't make glutathione very well, looking at those patterns with questionnaires too. I didn't I tell you everything. So in, the, in this, I want to have, for example, here's the neurotransmitter section. They can fill out the neurotransmitter questionnaires they can look at the patterns in HeartQuest to look and see what things are going on at, the, at that level. We could make, say, dopamine is, low, is high. I'll give you an example. Then they, they fill out the questionnaire. Here's the questionnaire saying, hey, this looks like they're high dopamine. This is, um, these are some genetic patterns that would show up. Here's the urine organic acid test, and this is where you would see it. I mean, I could keep adding and compounding these things. So you can have choices and, and start get your brain working in that direction if you suspect it. So you got the heart quest, you got the symptom survey, you got the suggestions, what labs to do. That's kind of where I'm headed with this. 
And that's a really robust approach to it all. And I think that is the absolutely the way medicine needs to go. I want to address the component of genetic testing because it's, it's growing so rapidly and you have a lot of people. I'm torn about this, as is my father, as far as we have patients that have taken 23andMe and start to see their you know proclivities and predispositions and start to believe them to be true and start to hypochondriac you know association and come into the office saying whoa i'm gonna have this cancer and you know and all these things and it almost starts to work on the hba access and the thought process changes and everything that i almost see it in the hands of the wrong person this is a, a really a bad thing in some ways meaning it leads you down the road to make it happen to make it a reality how do you use and how do you think genetic testing should be used in the medical community to be a positive and not a negative? First of all, you're absolutely right. The, the doctors need to be trained that these are probabilities. So in my software, it looks at this. It looks at the labs. It looks at the genetics. It looks at a symptom survey. I look at all three and it lights up when they've got a lot of those. And then it may clue me for some other testing but it doesn't look at one gene. My system is an amazing system from Bob Miller out there, if you wanna know. And he developed, excuse me, a system that looks at patterns. And I tell you, um, when I bypass and some of these, when I bypass nutrition in some of these patterns, it had some amazing results. And he did research on Lyme disease, thousands and thousands of Lyme patients, chronic Lyme patients. And he looked at their patterns to see what things show up over and over and over again. He's doing the same with autism. So he's a master at patterns. It takes a lot of study. It's not like you look, I mean, I study this stuff all the time because it's, now I'm looking at things more three-dimensionally because of the study. And I can take that information Again, back to the bioenergetics, and I go, this makes sense that they need this, this, and this. Let me test it for tolerance and effectiveness on the siren. But you've got to, you know, I mean, a lot of people want simplicity. This machine, I run this um, genetic test that tells me to take this, and I mean, that's so simplistic, and that's not how it works. Do you find that that is what the future will look like, is the marrying of all these things into one comprehensive, you know, one-stop shop type of uh, approach where, where, like you're saying, it all falls together, the genetics, the lab tests, and they're all kind of combined into one? Or will we always need a little bit of the separation to studying these things? The problem with, with medicine, the problem with a lot of these things is everything's fragmented. Right. They're all connected. That's why the heart goes. Everything's connected. All these systems are connected. One thing which I've learned from the genetics is that everything affects everything. <laughs> you know, it's a, yeah. And you've got to put it all together. I mean, you don't have to, but I think you can get much better results, especially people that are chronic, like you guys are saying, where you're seeing the worst of the worst. They've been everywhere. And I find the genetics amazingly valuable, but used in a very targeted way. I'm not telling people that this is, you know, that, that uh, this is exactly what's going on with it. This is, let's investigate further. Yeah, it opens the door to further knowledge about the patient and what's going on with them. But again, it is not an end all. You know, we know epigenetics are, are so vitally important. This doesn't dictate where you're going it shows you the proclivities but if you marry that together with the bioenergetics the functional heart quest everything else that gives you a bit better picture for you're, you're right on right on Casper. really i mean so what sinks the ship epigenetics combined with genetics yeah it's the combination that will sink that ship Absolutely. Now, for a practitioner that's looking to use or is using or a patient that's listening or anyone that wants to, you know, have HeartQuest done, is this something you're using yourself and advising people to do on a regular basis? Because lab tests you run every so often, other type of tests you're going to run. But you said something before also, it's about those subtle changes 
that you're trying to pick up on. So how often are you running a HeartQuest HRV um, variability test on patients as they go through treatment and even after? Or how, how often should someone looking to monitor these different ranges of things be doing this? I'd say once a month. Once a month, four weeks, that cycle. We have some neurotic doctors out there who got the machine and they'd send me 130 tests. <laughs> what did it do after I brushed my teeth? What did it do after I put my pants? I mean, they just get a little crazy. And I'm yes. not going to mention the names. Some of them are pretty famous, actually. <laughs> and they send me all this stuff. I go, this is crazy. You know, I said, check your people once a month. You'll see the pattern. You'll see the same pattern if you didn't change that pattern. Yeah, that I mean, that's what we've been doing. And I think that's the cycle of, of so much, whether it's the lunar, the hormonal cycle, four weeks or so. So many of the body and, and nature cycles, our month, of course, we say are four weeks or so. And that's where we should be dictating whether there is change or not, not on this hourly basis that's too microcosmic to really do that. And I get it. I mean, we have patients, too, that are constantly monitoring things on a minute-by-minute -minute basis, and, and sending you that. And that's when data becomes too much. And, yeah. and you're, you're not going to pick up bad patterns on a second to second basis. It really is. And you have to understand healing takes time. It does yeah. not happen within minutes. Um, right. So that, that's good to know that you're looking at that four week pattern of everything. Um, you know, it, I, honestly, back to the, what you just said, you just triggered something in my brain. But yeah, my patients, when they're chronic, they want to know how much long it's going to take. And I tell them, I mean, this is, you know, I give them, I, I do videos for my patients, you know, and I, I give them education so they can learn at home. And I real visual, like, you know, like the hard quest and explaining things to them. And I always do Mount Everest. How long is it going to take you to get to Mount Everest? How, how long do you have to prepare to be able to do that? I tell them, you know, maybe sometimes I'll tell them three years, but you can yeah. feel better before that and have some good positive things happen. But, it's not a short-term process. It took you this long to get there, and I'm sure you guys are telling the same stuff, right? Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's incredibly true that patients' expectations, and I think this is based off conventional uh, medicine's um, inability to truly put forth a successful outcome, meaning that you're healed and you just want symptom relief that can happen overnight with a pill. Uh, and that's not real success. That's not healing. That's management. That's suppression. So people think that medicine should provide relief as quickly as possible. And so when they probably come to you to us, they say, hey, you know, chronic, in a week, do you think I'll be better? <laughs> and again, like you said, how many years did you probably not even have symptoms that your body was already out of and trying to compensate for so much? So Tack on since you had symptoms another at least few years. That's how long you've probably been truly sick. And you're telling me that within one week, you think you could turn that all around? That's, that's, right. that's not how the human body works. That's not how nature works. That may be how chemicals, you know, try and induce us and change us very quickly, but that's not a winning formula. So I, I completely understand that. And for anyone listening, if you're going through a chronic disease, play the long game, set your expectations to months, if not years and not days and weeks. And, yeah. and, and monitor with things like HeartQuest on a monthly basis and see That's how right. you're doing, right? That's exactly, because people will say, hey, I'm starting to feel better. And I say, look, you may feel better, but you're not there yet. I'm looking at my HeartQuest and I can see that you're far from there. You keep going. You're moving in the right direction. That's another valuable way to do that. What are some of the key uh, outputs that you look at in HeartQuest? Because like we said, there are a number of different outputs there, uh, a number of different variables that you're being shown. Is there something that you're just always looking at with a patient and showing them and highlighting them? Yes. One is the stress index. How much tension is on that nervous system? One is, and it's in the, you gotta move that. You know, when you go to your meridians, there's a, there's a number called total power. That's a big number. It needs to be on the front page there. But total power <clears throat> gives you a clue about how much mitochondria and how much energy that person has to heal. Huge. You want to see that go up. Vital force. You know, how much ability do you have to dance back and forth and adapt? You want to see that go up. 
So those are just some, there's more. But those are three big numbers that you want to see change. Yeah, incredibly important, I think, overall for, for just health and for regeneration and healing, those three parts. If you SDNN could bet. I forgot the SDNN because that's standard medicine. Standard deviation, normal to normal beats. Mm. They track that in cancer patients. When that drops below, I think it was 10 or 13, prognosis usually isn't as good. Right. That happened. And so that's another, SDNN is another big one. Uh, you mentioned that this is a very dynamic thing. You're learning things all the time. You're inputting it into the system. You're getting new information all the time that's giving you a better picture of what's going on with the patient. What are you truly excited about that's on the forefront of everything happening that you see coming up that will be implemented in medicine that, that you know excites you and you could see as something that will really change the way we're looking at medicine? I think that's several things. One is, is um, for example, which we talked about, we're going to have that device for patients, just the average person out there who can be able to track certain parameters of their health. We know that's where things are going. People are getting more education, educated out there, and they want to be able to not have to go to the doctor every second and be able to see and make see some lifestyle changes that would improve their scores and they could be tr able to track themselves. Putting the responsibility back to the, you know, the, the average person out there on the street, right? And, and that's pretty exciting. Um, and also, you know, I think, um, I think, I think that's, that's, well, that's one of the big ones. That's a big one. You know why that's a big one? That is empowerment. That is what so many patients are missing right now. Right now, so much of what's going on in medicine is I go to doctor, doctor, heal me. And a doctor never heals anybody. You heal yourself. It's like people right now are waiting for the vaccine. What is a vaccine but information for your immune system to do what it has to do? It's not the cure. It is doing. It is only information. That's really it. So your immune system can do what it's supposed to be doing. So you can heal yourself. People think that the body needs stuff to heal. It does not. And when you empower patients to think that way and take them out of victimhood, that's huge because that does give you the ability to change on your own and not wait for the doctor to write you a prescription to then say, oh, now I can heal. No, 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 you got it backwards. So I'm, I'm all on board with that because patient empowerment is where we need to go. That's, we have to give the power back to these people that are suffering and not make them think that they, can, they have no ability to change or to improve their situation without medicine's intervention. That's exactly right. And that's why I do videos, educational videos. Some of my patients know more than the doctors. Yeah. They actually they've been to a doctor's office and walked out because the guy couldn't answer the questions. But I go into depth with them, you know, but in a way that is visual and they can understand. So I think that the, the educating the public is is huge for those that want the education. You know, that's that's gonna uh, be a, a a life changer. I had a gal come in; she's got SIBO. <laughs> Did a video for her and explaining you know, what that is, what the tests are, what's the research. <laughs> and she's not, she's not here. They're in South Africa. So they went in and the doctor didn't know enough. <laughs> she knew more than the doctor. So she said, no, I think I'm going to, I've got, I know what I'm going to do. And now you have this ability to, you have access to so much information, which is great. You have access to, to a lot of data. Do you think at times though, it's too much? Do you still need a doctor there to interpret and to know what's going on? Because the patient empowerment, you're seeing patients start to do their own treatment, start to basically say, get the doctor completely out of the picture. I want nothing to do with those guys because they screwed me up or whatever, you know, in the past. Um, do, do you still see the need for doctors in a sense, or is this a, a dying breed in some ways when you empower someone enough to heal themselves. They're always going to need uh, people like you guys and us. They do because there's, there's only so much you could teach them and only so much knowledge that you could impart with them. Yeah. And they will inevitably probably make some good decisions, but they will make some not so good decisions. They need us, you know, to some degree. 
But as far as, you know, we can educate them where most of the time they're going to make really good decisions. Yep. Is there anywhere that HeartQuest, you would say, shines uh, even better as a evaluation or assessment tool when it relates to specific conditions? Is there a perfect type of patient that would really be a candidate for HeartQuest? Or is this just across the board, you know, everyone should be looking at this stuff regardless, and this is a great way to assess somebody? Across the board. I can say right now, across the yeah. board. And People come in, I don't treat cancer, but you know, I've had people who have cancer where they use it to monitor, and I have other doctors out there who have actually an oncology center, <clears throat> they use it to monitor, right? They have people who um, just making lifestyle changes, and they want to make sure that they're going in the right direction. Then you got the whole other side of people out there who have PMF units, and laser, and light <laughs> therapy, and they want to validate what they're doing, you know? whether that's a practitioner or somebody in their home. There's, I mean, it's, it's really for everyone. I was gonna tell you, I did develop, but I didn't put it out there yet. Years ago, I developed a patch that a person can wear to monitor themselves. But a lot of, we, we didn't follow through with that because sometimes it was, you know, when they moved around, we got a lot of artifacts. Mm. I had to scan that, but we did get some readings. So we took some gal with us to have lunch. She was patched. We went to the Cheesecake Factory. Mm. We ate healthy, me and Dr. Piketty. She ate <laughs> all the worst things, <laughs> all the refined carbohydrates. You saw the shift like that immediately wow. and what that did to her. So I think the impact that we're gonna have with this system is gonna be real interesting as far as how people make decisions. That's really cool because a lot of times what you're seeing if you're, you know, studying or looking at other analysis is a downstream effects, you know, after some time. So you eat something, you process it, you know, but what you're looking at through this is the subtle shifts that are happening in real time. That once you ingest something, your body is having a reaction. You could pick up on that. You don't have to wait for those levels downstream to pick it up. And, and not really start to understand what was it that triggered that because we're looking at something as a snapshot much later down, down from where it started. So you could pick up even on certain, you know, events that are happening throughout the day, whether it's interacting with somebody, how that is affecting you on that subtle level. So I think that's really cool. Are you making this now more available to directly to consumers, or is this still a, a practitioner-based system now, HeartQuest? We're going to have, with this new system, we'll have one for the public. We'll have a more sophisticated one for the doctors. And we're not sure exactly the one that they send the patient home with, what things we're going to put in there just yet. But mm -hmm. we can have, definitely we'll have one out there for the public. That's great because, again, that's empowerment, and I know a lot of people are probably really excited to, to try and use that and not have to go find a doctor if they're unhealthy or anything like that because that is a barrier to utilizing it. Where do you see medicine as a whole? You know, I'll, I'll ask you this. We're in a really weird position right now in 2020. <laughs> and I always, I've been talking to a lot of different doctors, a lot of different people who are seeing it in many different ways, seeing the silver lining, seeing it going into telemedicine. Where do you see medicine going now that we've reached this, this very kind of, you know, I would say tipping point in some ways in 2020 and everything going on with COVID, with so many tensions, with so much going on in the world, so much stress, so much, you know, um, uh, uncertainty. Where do you see medicine going as a whole? Well, I see telemedicine as a big part right now, especially you know, because of the COVID-19. I also see that out of this whole thing, we and our group of people, the way we do things may shine because it's not just about the COVID-19. It's about your whole lifestyle and, and, and how that's gonna affect your ability to be able to offset these kind of infections. It's not, you know, everybody's just, they, you know, what they play on, on the um, radio, on TV, it's about just waiting for a vaccine, which is totally ludicrous. We have more tools, you know, we have frequency medicine, 
to offset things. We have homeopathy, we have herbal medicines that are just phenomenal for boosting the immune system. And again, we know that um, long-term stress is gonna lower your ability to fight anything, so you gotta work on that aspect. And, and by the way, the microbiome affects that because the microbiome turns off. You got the healthy bacteria in there. It turns off the stress response. But guess what these infections do? These infections can trigger, uh, why, uh, they can trigger panic in the brain via the vagus nerve, right? Coming up from the gut to the brain. And they can um, turn on this panic and anxiety. And why do they do that? Because they want to create a response where you end up having diarrhea. So all the healthy bacteria gets pooped out and they can take a hold and have new real estate for themselves. I mean, this is, that's when we're talking about this whole complexity. You can't, you know, you got to heal the gut. You got to work on the reducing the stress levels. You got, I mean, it's this whole uh, arcade of things that you got to do. And mainstream medicine is just, was just giving the vaccine. It's back to the same old, you know, you know what? Yeah. I, I have been saying I see this as a wonderful opportunity to usher in a new era, a new era where people truly value their health because it is so necessary now. You know, the, this virus and everything that's come of it, it is discriminatory against people who aren't healthy, as all viruses have always been. You know, it's, it's the path of least resistance. And if you are unhealthy, it is now showing more and more that you, you are at risk, you're at higher risk. And right. the only way to get around that is not through vaccination, is not through a cure, quote unquote, it's through improving your state of health. That's Absolutely. it. And your and, product, by the way, I was gonna throw this in there though, because we need to have autophagy. Because what does autophagy do? It eats up these decrepit, senescent cells that were gonna cause us to have diseases as they get older, so this process called autophagy eats those guys up, saves the good stuff, makes shiny new cells, and eats up viruses. And if people, and, and your product helps to get people in autophagy, because the opposite of autophagy is mTOR. And, yep. and mTOR is about protein synthesis and growth. And it's also about the, uh, enables this virus to replicate. Yeah. And most people today, because they eat too much sugar, because they're exposed to too many xenoestrogens, because there's iron fortified in our food, iron. I'm just naming all these things, pesticides. I keep going for a long time. All AMP mTOR. Yeah. And when you're mTOR, you can't be an autophagy. When they take your product, isn't it, it, it helps to bring up that autophagy, the opposite of that. Absolutely. And we actually wrote an article on that, that NAD and, and uh, you know, what we had in Adivim and there's other products as well, but NAD is the only way to, to really activate that CERT one that can keep the mTOR in check in some ways. And yeah, there has been research in the last two months alone, looking at how coronavirus, like many viruses replicate through mTOR. So the only really direct way to inhibit mTOR reproduction like that is Activate CERT1, autophagy, all these things. And how do you do that? Through things like NAD, nicotinamide adenide, uh, dinucleotide. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that up because it, it's true. There are so many different ways to look at this and how you can improve your health. And I think the bottom line is you have so many actions you can take without waiting for a vaccine, without waiting for some kind of magical cure. Because trust me, as soon as coronavirus is over, something else will be there. And, and yep. it'll, this is nature, right? We have billions upon billions, trillions of different bacteria out there and everything that are just waiting for us to get a little sick, <laughs> to, oh, yeah. to weaken our immune system and then come in and wreak havoc. That's what most patients are dealing with. So yeah, that's, you always trigger these things in me. I've got to tell you, you know, cause you're a good trigger of thoughts, but you know, like I have patients who have, um, it's like um, cytomegalia, for example, or they have um, any of the viruses, right? Epstein-Barr. They could be in your system for 10 years. Yeah. When you get stress, they read your stress hormones. And when your stress hormones go high and they know the immune system is going to drop, that's when they get you. They come out and party, right? That's when they're, they're, they're sitting low, like laying low and they're there in your body. And it's only when you lower it that they come out. And that's when symptoms happen. That's when it becomes a chronic infectious disease that we treat with antibiotics. And what does that do? 
It just lays waste to the good bacteria in you. It creates an environment that's incredibly toxic, acidic, and that's what they love as well. And they are resistant these days, most of these viruses and bacteria. They've learned. They also have adapted as humans have adapted to different things. And antibiotics, uh, you know, they're adapting very well to those. That's right. Even like Cipro, they've studied, you know, with Cipro, when people take Cipro, it causes anxiety and panic, just like I was talking about. The, the bugs start to trigger through the base nerve up here. They produce their chemicals, and they cause you panic and, and, and these kind of stresses. So then when you're panicked and you're stressed, it affects, you know, you get the diarrhea and the things that are, uh, that are in response to that. And it creates a better environment for them to grow. And that's just the vicious cycle of what most of medicine and what most of patients are seeing. And most of us are actually patients these days. We all have a little bit of symptoms and other things because we live in a world that is just, you know, that's, that's commonplace, unfortunately. Too many toxins, too many things, too many stressors, EMF, all of these different things. But I'm really happy that there is technology out there like HeartQuest that's able to show us different things and how we can improve in the right way and do it through these subtle actions and not through forcing our bodies to try and compensate. And that's where our healing can really occur. So Dr. Castle, where can people learn more about HeartQuest, you, what's coming up, anything? So for right now, they can go to hrvhq.com. It's a basic site for HeartQuest. They can call me if they're interested. They could call me, 415-646-6112. And they could email me, drmkessler at sbcglobal.net. The company's small. There's only a few of us, so it's not like you have to go through a whole array of people. You got Dr. Bichetti here, you got me, and you got Dr. Caramon. And then we have, now we have a whole team, actually, of really smart people, in South Africa, we got a software guy there. We got a, another guy who, who's very smart about getting this out there and combining everything together. So we have a team. But basically, uh, it's not like going through a huge company. People go, wow, you answered the phone. Like, yeah. But that is a beautiful thing. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I always said I don't want a large company because I know that means loss of quality, loss of actual compassion, your mission usually is lost, you're not as passionate about these things, and you don't have that sense of connection to your end user. And I think that's incredibly important. So I actually applaud you for having that ability to say, here's my number, right? Call. I want to get in touch with people like you. I want to help. That's the bottom line, I think, here. It's not profits, this or that, or kind of, you know, any of the downstream data that most companies deal to say they're successful or not. It's whether or not you're helping people. And that's what medicine should be. And that's what businesses should be in a medical business. That's absolutely what your, you know, level of success should be. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I hope people can hear what was said here today, process this, learn more, reach out to yourself. Any final thoughts or anything you'd like to leave with the audience as we exit this? You know, um, basically, this is going to be, a, uh, we know it's going to be affordable, and it's going to be something that everybody out there can access, and it's going to tell the actual person in the street things that they may not have known before about themselves, and give them the clue about how they can make improvements, you know, whether that's in any part of their lifestyle, exercise, diet, thought processes, it's just going to be an amazing tool for you out there. So consider that. That's amazing and a great way to end it. And I hope more and more people utilize this HeartQuest HRV reach out to you. So thank you again, Dr. Kessler, for everything you're doing. Uh, I want to thank you guys. You guys are doing amazing work out there, really. I know what you guys are doing. Yeah, and I can't wait to keep utilizing HeartQuest on patients because it really is such a valuable tool and it's helped so many people. So yeah, thanks. Thank you, Casper. And I'm, when, I, when I get this done, I'm going to get you the prototype before we, we put it out there so you guys can play with it. Please do. I want to be the guinea pig. <laughs> I'm so used to that by now. My father's been doing you know things on me since I was a little, little boy. And he did acupuncture on me. And I thought he was torturing me for bad grades. But 
I, I love being the guinea pig, so I'll, I'll gladly be one of the first to try it out. Excellent, excellent. You, I know because I got your dad's book of all yeah. the different modalities in there. It's almost everything I studied over the 35 years is in that book. Yeah, but about he, half of those are I started as the guinea pig. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. No, this chat was great. Thanks so much. And, and you know, hope to connect some more and keep sharing this uh, really important message. Thank you again. I've always felt seeing something through multiple prisms allows for the most complete picture of what's really going on. And Dr. Kessler did a great job showing what that can look like in medicine with the use of HeartQuest HRV technology. I love getting my HeartQuest evaluations and seeing how my body is adapting to change and where it stands. It gives me that deeper insight over regular lab tests and shows me things conventional testing simply can't pick up. Combined with energetic testing, bioresonance analysis, genetic testing, and other mappings and analysis that are out there, a trained eye can put the puzzle of your health or state of disease together to provide a personalized treatment program that actually works and heals you, not just manages your symptoms. In the end, there is no one right way to look at anything, including health. But let's start taking some of our blinders off and see the importance of things like HRV and its application in medicine for the sake of the patient and our collective health. Until next time, stay healthy, happy, and maybe most importantly, adaptable to change.